So every one of these pages is a meditation on on travel. Dude, I read uh, one of the reviews. <laughs> They're so fucking doofy. <laughs> this lady was like three stars. It didn't help me meditate at all. <laughs> who, did, who gets these advanced copies? <laughs> Welcome to Deviate with Rolf Potts. Today's episode is a recording of a live event I did with comedian Ari Shafir in New York City earlier this month. This conversation took place on stage at the KGB Bar Red Room, and the fact that it took place in a bar makes it particularly informal and fun. In fact, you can hear not just Ari and me, but my wife Kiki and my Random House editor Mary, as well as travel writer Tony Parate, who hosted the event. You can also hear us bantering with audience members who took my Paris travel writing workshop this summer. Aria was one of their classmates in the July session. If you're interested in taking my Paris travel writing classes next year, go to pariswritingworkshops.com or check out the link in the show notes. As I'm recording this, there are only four slots left in the July session, but several spaces left in August. I'd love to host some deviate listeners in my Paris class next year. Again, check out the show notes for more information about that. And on a more immediate note, if you're looking for holiday gifts this year, please consider my new book, The Vagabond's Way, as a stocking stuffer for travelers in your life, yourself included. My new book features a travel meditation for each day of the year, and by design, New Year's Day is a great time to start reading it. It's been years since I've had ads on this podcast, so in addition to being a good travel present, buying copies of my new book is a good way to support the show. In today's episode, Ari and I talk about how the book came to be named The Vagabond's Way and what went into writing it. We also talk about how taking photos can both add to and detract from the travel experience. We talk about how hard it can be to explain your travels to people when you get back home, since so many aspects of travel are deeply unique and personal. We talk about the chapter in the book that quotes Ari and how you could never really be lost on the road, since being lost is just another way to experience a new place. Ari starts by introducing the concept of the Vagabond's Way. Let's listen in. Hello, everybody. Okay. Welcome to the Rolf Pot Celebration. <laughs> Rolf recently learned how to read, and uh, we're all very proud of him. Um, who has read this new book, Vagabond's Way? I have. Great. <laughs> Rolf's wife has read it. Also his editor. Also his editor. <laughs> Kiki got to the first page where it said, to Kiki, and she's like, sweet. I'm done. <laughs> Uh, okay, just oh, so I'm gonna uh, ask some questions. It's just gonna be like Q and A. I did one of these at uh, what's the place on uh, Union Square, the bookstore? No, nope. Barnes and Noble. Yeah, uh, with Tom Segura, and it went terribly. <laughs> so they said that was the worst one they've ever done, and uh, you can never do this again. So we've moved out of the literary world into a place where people get throw up drunk. <laughs> So let's start with some questions. Rolf, first of all, congratulations on the book. Thank you. Yeah. And can I have an aside that you're in the book, Ari, and oh. Ari is willing to sign his page. <laughs> That's right. If you have a copy of the book, he can sign his page, which is June 3rd. And Tony is January 27th. So if you have a copy of the book, please approach both of these guys to sign those. Ryan, hold up your hand. Ryan is selling copies of the book. And I want to point out, who here has seen a comedy special called Jew? It's been watched three million times since it was released like 20 minutes ago. And Ari gave it to everyone for free. Yeah. 
and I tried to pay him via Venmo, and it didn't work. Yeah, I got locked out for a while. They thought I was suspicious. And so I'm going to give it to you in cash. This this is my tip. So who here has watched you? Oh, Venmo cool. this guy some money. Oh, it's, right. a, it's a funny ass uh, special, and here's the cash version of what Venmo wouldn't let me pay you. It's hundred dollars if I'm right. It's a hundred dollars. You don't have to give him, give him five bucks. Give him ten bucks. But uh, it's a special. Thanks, money. buddy. I'll yeah, take it. All right, I, I think that's it. I was supposed my page was supposed to be May third, and then he changed to June third. Uh, okay. It's Mary's fault. Mary, you, Mary's my editor. Yeah. Fair enough. So let's start the discussion on the Vagabond's Way. Rolf, first of all, break in any time that I'm leading this incorrectly. Uh, I've known you for five years now. I read your book, uh, Vagabonding, on a, on a beach in Cambodia. And uh, right around the same time, you were listening to a podcast of mine. You were interviewing Henry Rollins for Skeptic Tank. Yeah. And I was in Namibia, uh, which appears, that Namibia trip appears a couple times in this book. So. Yeah, nice. So I decided, okay, we're going to open it up for questions at some point, if you guys have any. But in the meantime, I'm just going to say some of the stuff that, that kind of stuck out um, for me from this book. Let's start with February 2nd. So every one of these pages is a meditation on on travel. Dude, I read uh, one of the reviews. <laughs> They're so fucking doofy. <laughs> this lady was like three stars. It didn't help me meditate at all. <laughs> <laughs> who, did, who gets these advanced copies? <laughs> it's a legit one. All right. Um, this one, okay, so every, so I, what do I like? Every one of these, what I liked about the old book and this one too is it has these quotes that you, I guess you've acquired in your, uh, what do you call it, what book? My commonplace book. Commonplace book. You guys know what a commonplace book is? It's it's it, it's from the Renaissance. It's when um, people of means like let me break it there. A Renaissance is a time period, right? Okay. <laughs> um, like Da Vinci or even Thomas Jefferson. It was before books were were. It's before many people owned books. So if you read a book, you had to take it back to the person who owned it. And if you had quotes that appealed to you or thoughts, then you put it in your commonplace book. And so at a time before books were common, people kept commonplace books. I, being a nerd, started just keeping text files in my Mac Classic in the 1990s, and so many of those quotes have fed this book because I was afraid that I couldn't remember all of this awesome stuff I was reading. I was insecure about my intellect, and so I have a giant computer file that eventually um, fed this book. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That's why you remember exactly how something's phrased. Where, yeah. where every time I quote something, I'm like, I forget the exact wording, but it'd be nice to be able to go back. And I cheated by keeping a commonplace <laughs> book on my computer. Yeah. Um, so February 2nd, it says put your dreams into action now. The, one of the biggest things I've seen from myself and other travelers is like, I gotta get to this, I gotta get to this, I gotta get to this, and like, when, and there's always a better time. Um, and it starts with, with this quote from, uh, oh, Tim Ferriss, nerd. <laughs> For all the most important things, the timing always sucks. Conditions are never perfect. Someday is a disease that will take your dreams to the grave with you. It's important to just do it and, the, and correct the course along the way. Damn. And then this is at the end of Ken, Kenyan Marathon. I said the best time to plant a tree was 25 years ago. The second best time to plant a tree is today. You see a lot of that? People just kind of like putting this stuff away, or have you done that in yourself? Yeah, no, that, that my first book, Vagabonding, um, 
came out of that is that I, like a good American, thought, well, travel is something I do at the end of my life after I've earned money and raised a proper family and stuff. And I've told this story many times, but it's important that my grandfather was a Kansas farmer who dropped out of school in eighth grade and just started farming because his father died. We don't have that life anymore. But um, he worked harder than anybody I knew. And by the time he came to retirement age, his wife, my grandmother, his beloved wife, had Alzheimer's disease. He couldn't, he couldn't enjoy his retirement. Um, and so I realized, it sort of broke my heart when I was young, and I realized when I was young that if I wanted to travel, which is what I dreamt of doing, but I didn't feel like I had permission to do, and vagabonding is a lot about permission, the vagabond's way, the same way, is that I need to give myself permission now. And so it's, it's sort of a, a false line in the sand. We think we can't do it now. We think we have to put it off to some future time. We have different fears, be it fear of physical danger or fear of spending too much money. It's actually not that much money to travel and you can do it now. Um, and you did it, you know, and you yeah. were off wandering the world. Yeah, all my friends are like, aren't you gonna miss out on stuff? And I'm like, what? You're like, what, what do you mean? <laughs> I have a career, I'll be back. Like, Yeah, no, and actually, I think travel gives you perspective. You come back home and it's as if the conversation you were having six months ago is still happening. Damn, and it really is. It hasn't people, advanced at all. And, it's, and this is why the last chapter of Vagabonding and the later chapters of this book are sort of about how you can't really come and show off your travels and have your friends understand it. You have to really internalize it and realize that your travels have made you a better member of the community. You can give back to your community, but you can't give that feeling on a beach in Cambodia or East Timor. I know that, Ari, those are special places to you. Yeah. You can't explain that to people. You can just live them. And I think we live in a time in history where we explain things to each other all the time, but we don't give ourselves permission to live them, so. I was talking, actually, this is gonna say this later, but I was talking to Jasmine uh, Shaw. Jasmine Shaw, hands up. Great travel photographer. Nice. Yeah. yeah. We were talking about last night, like, like how do you express, because not everything in travel has a story, but it's just so interesting. But like, what happened there? Like, I don't know, I went to a market. No. And it's like, it's just not that fun and no one will get how cool it was. Well, that's the, I mean, you, you, we all studied writing together this summer and a story needs a conflict, but sometimes the best parts of travel don't have conflicts, so hence they aren't a part of a story that you can tell in, in a satisfying way to other people. You keep them for yourselves. And in a way, yeah, the best parts of, well, it's Walt Whitman, I'm paraphrasing Walt Whitman. Um, I, I, what did he say? Uh, I keep the best parts to myself. The, part, the best parts are left unsaid because I keep them to myself. I'm paraphrasing. Sorry, Walt. Um, but yeah, yeah. And so there's one thing to talk about things and it's another thing to live them. And so this new book in, uh, is a sequel to Vagabonding in the sense that it's about permission. Yeah, just going and doing it. This actually had the same thing. One of the things I quote from Vagabonding all the time is that, and I misquoted exactly the wording, but like, be ready to come home and have no one give a fuck about your trip. Because <laughs> um, they weren't there. They weren't you had to there. forgive them because, yeah. My friend just said, he, he went to Peru and he said when he got home, he told his parents from Boston, alcoholics, and, uh, and uh, he was like, they had this like Peruvian steak. And he goes, uh, oh, I had a Brazilian steak on the Disney cruise once. <laughs> and then just never got back to the story. <laughs> just, and he was like, for real? Um, yeah, it's kind of amazing. I, don't, I feel like I'm not expressing stuff right to people. <laughs> well, you can't. That's the thing, yeah. is that you can't 
you know, you had to say Uncle Bob, that Brazilian steak, I'm sure was awesome. But at the end of the day, you can't convey that idea. I mean, you went to Ecuador during COVID, right? Like yeah. you had these amazing experiences that I can't fully appreciate because I was not there. You know, I've superficially been to Ecuador, but you went deep at a time when nobody was traveling. Uh, and it's probably hard for you to communicate some of those stories. Yeah. These tips, are, are these are these you talking to yourself or like what percentage of it is that, like advice you're giving yourself and what percentage of it is like what you've heard other people ask about travel? And it's funny, Vagabonding came out 20 years ago and this is a spiritual sequel, it's not a literal sequel to Vagabonding, but that little nut, that little urge, that those dreams haven't changed. And, they have, and this, this book goes back 3,000 years and you can talk about Winneman, the Egyptian who traveled 3,000 years ago, or, or Basho who traveled to Japan centuries ago. And a lot of those human textures of travel are still the same thing. You know, a day when travel really sucks, but it's worth it. I think one of Basho's poems is like, a horse pissing next to my pillow, please bite me. <laughs> and it's like, that day sucked, but I bet you don't regret taking that journey. Yeah. That's why we know Basho, he took a journey. He risked, he risked it, and hundreds of years later, we still remember him. Yeah, nice. <laughs> it's weird how you do forget the like the pain and just remember how cool, like having the pain was. The pain makes it worth it. Yeah. Um, here's the one, May twenty fifth. Um, is there? Would you, by the way, would you have a, a way to read this book or or? Um, not really. Well, it's been out for a month, and some people say, I started with my birthday, or I started with today, or I started with January 1st, even though it's not January 1st. And so I'm not prescriptive, but in a way, it follows the journey. Like, January is about inspiration. February is about specific planning things. March is about that first time in travel where you feel really insecure. And I think in the podcast, you related to this old... Catholic guy who left the city of Ulm years ago, oh, yeah. and he was maybe 800 yards outside of Ulm, and it's like, I've made the wrong decision. Yeah. I want to go back, and only because I would be embarrassed to go back, I can't go back. You related to that. Yeah. I related to that. Yeah. And so I think that certain truths about travel, I think we talk about travel as a consumer act, and that's fine, but there's certain ways that it, it, it affects us in sort of a human way that haven't changed, despite the way we communicate these days. So, yeah. It's scary to, like, go to a new place. It's, it's kind of frightening. Well, and this is, you have to work past that. I think we insulate ourselves with comforts. We go to the other side of the world, and we stay in a hotel that sort of replicates the air conditioning and the beige comfort of home, when, in fact, get out of that, walk around, walk until your day becomes interesting. Yeah. You know? It's um, a great fuck out, make some mistakes. Yeah. Um, here's one for like kind of modern travel. This probably wasn't around when you were uh, writing Vagabonding, but um, it's about photography. That's kind of become part of the travel experience now, especially with you know smartphones. Um, do you have any? Well, this page is May twenty fifth. Says seek travel photos that go beyond the obvious. And the, something I noted at the end was sometimes the best way to create memorable travel photographs is to leave to leave in the little imperfections that might one day remind you of actually being there. Um, yeah, you got any advice for how to not let um, your phone, or at least like the photographs, I don't know, change your trip for the worse? Well, it's tough. I mean, people will literally go to a place in Italy or New York 
or Santorini, Greece, and they'll take pictures based upon the pictures that inspired them to go to that place. And so it, there's, it's sort of a genericized version. It's like photoshopping yourself into an experience that somebody else had. And, and so I think when I first started traveling, I was beholden to film cameras. And you would take a bunch of uh, pictures, and then like three weeks later, you would see what you shot. Yeah. And actually, Jasmine, you took a bunch. You would yeah. walk the Camino, and you used a film camera. But you're a professional photographer, so you've done a better job of it. But you're beholden. It's like one great thing about being beholden to film uh, photography is that you could see all. It wasn't an idealized version of yourself. There were no filters. That if there was a big crowd of people there, you were stuck with it. It's like actually, yeah, that was Santorini was full of a bunch of tourists who were there when I was there. And so I think sometimes we, it's always been this way. Susan Tog, Sontag writes about this. Has anybody read On Photography? Susan Sontag's great book of, of, of criticism. Great book. I quoted it a few times in the, in the new book. But it's just the idea that you put the camera between yourself and the experience. And in doing that, you are sort of trying to replicate the, what inspired you to go there. And so you're sort of trying to do the National Geographic magazine version of what you were traveling for instead of just being excited about the place with all its its horrible wrinkles and everything else. Yeah. Something I noticed too is like, if you're ever at a wedding or at any event, the, the hired photographer will get together and so everyone turns and like smiles, but like that doesn't capture the experience. Well, actually smiling is literally performative. Yeah. We are trained from the time we're three to smile for the camera. Why? Cool, because Aunt Betty wants us to smile for the camera, right? Yeah. And we're performing a version of ourselves for the camera from our earliest memories when, in fact, life's texture is so much more complicated. And so much like we smile for the camera, you know, for our fourth grade picture, when we're on the other side of the world, we sort of say, take the same Santorini or Namibia or East Timor picture that everybody else takes, and we edit ourselves out of it. There's a part I talk about in the new book that one of the best guides I've ever had in the world, has anybody heard of the Mentawai Islands off the coast of Sumatra? amazing place. They, they still sort of live a Stone Age life. And my guide was a Mentawai guy, but he wore a ball cap and spoke perfect English. And his cousins wore loincloths and had tattoos all over their bodies. Oh. And he realized that these people are the ones people want to take pictures of. And so he would always, when I took my camera out, he would always go away because he knew that tourists didn't want to take his picture. So my favorite picture I'm going to put on Instagram soon is a picture of his hand grabbing a water bottle out of the video of, taking, <laughs> of his cousin with the tattoos smashing the, the sago paste to make sago powder. And he, because he'd worked with tourists so long that he knew that tourists don't want to picture, he's as mental why as anybody else. Um, but they don't want a mental why in a t-shirt and a ball cap with a plastic wow. water bottle. They want a vision of unchanged authenticity when in fact the world isn't a place that has unchanged authenticity. Well, I want to get into this then. That, uh, well, first I want to say two things I learned about photographs. One was like, if you ever see like um, from the 1800s, you see like, um, you know, someone posing for a photograph, they're always just very sad. Like, <laughs> it's like, I don't know, it's like, you must have lost like four relatives that month. But like, uh, yeah, they don't smile. I want to start doing that more. But like, uh, I think what's fun is to take pictures of other people. Like when you're climbing like a mountain or something like that, just quickly snap a picture of your travel partner or whatever, and then, then they get like an in-action shot and you know you just send it to them later. You know, it's, it's more not, authentic. It's not performative. I actually, yeah. for Instagram, I had a, a series. It's the least liked series of photos I have on Instagram. It's called People of Sumatra. I would take a picture of like a random dude. In fact, I talk about him in this book. I was taking a share taxi from the Madonna Airport to Lake Toba 
And this is a dude who had seen more European capitals than me. He worked as a waiter on a cruise ship. And he was, he was from uh, Sumatra. And I took his picture because I thought his story was interesting. Well, Instagram doesn't want to see the, the working class dude who's a waiter and has seen more European capitals than most of us have. They want to see me. And I'm not going to say abs because my abs aren't that great. <laughs> but they want to see me in front of the camera. It's, it's it, the narcissistic gaze. That it's always been there, and Susan Sontag writes about that in on photography. It's what we want to see, but in fact, it's not what we actually see. And I really respected that guy because he, to feed his family, was traveling the world, waiting tables, and he was excited to go to the Colosseum in Rome in a way that most of us um, aren't excited because we sort of assume that it's just something to tick off our list. Whereas he's a guy whose newborn baby was back in Sumatra, and this was part of his life. It's fun to see. Yeah. Do you have any tips on like I say the difference between like um, what is it, authentic versus traditional? Um, Ooh. Whereas like I'm trying to think where let's say uh, Thailand, where authentic Thai is is pad Thai um, that's not traditional Thai food. Huh. Uh, traditional is a different thing. Seven Eleven is authentic Thailand, but it's it's not traditional. But like if you're like I went to Thailand, it's like well, what'd you see? It'd be like. You see a lot of 7-Elevens. You see a lot of 7-Elevens. Yeah, it's weird, right? You've been to Thailand because I know I spent a lot of time in 7-Elevens when I was in Thailand because that's, and we talked about this podcast, a 7-Eleven is different than a 7-Eleven in Japan, which is different than a 7-Eleven in Bogota, right? But everywhere in the world, it expresses the culture that you can actually, I read a chapter in the book about how you go to McDonald's in Egypt and there's a bunch of people on dates. Because McDonald's is an exotic foreign restaurant, and if you want to impress Irish food, <laughs> if you want to impress the the woman you're courting, then you're going to take her to get a Big Mac. Oh. Um, and so I think we we fetishize authenticity, and it means people in traditional clothing. Well, they're in traditional clothing because we want that, and because they make more money when we take their picture. Whereas, actually, there's some great, and you've been to Myanmar, right? Great hip hop comes out of Myanmar. The pe Burmese people. I listen to sort of a facsimile. This, this will age me. A facsimile of Cypress Hill when I was in Myanmar, and it was good hip hop. And it's just Burmese people who are just Whoa. that's their connection with the world. And so one of my travel writing heroes is Pico Iyer. Do you guys know Pico Iyer? Uh, Video Night in Kathmandu is one. I quote him a lot. I quote him a lot because he was one of the first travel writers to say, "Yeah, we can go to Japan and talk about the kimono." But let's talk about baseball, because in a way they love baseball in ways that we in America have ceased to love baseball. And so to see Japan is to see baseball in the way Japanese see baseball. And yeah. so I always try to internalize that as a travel writer. Um, yeah, that's nice. Do you have a, I'm sure people ask you this a lot, but do you have a, when people are like, where should I start with my travels? Do you have any advice for people? Totally. Start, find the, your nerdiest obsession and go with it. Because people, people just think, I don't know. I, maybe I should go to Santorini because it's pretty in pictures, but I like to knit. Actually, knitting is a very global thing. People knit in awesome ways. I know nothing about knitting. I'm sorry if you guys are knitting experts. But anything that you love, rugby. Who would have known that Fijians love rugby? I hung out in Lebanon with some Fijian um, UN peacekeepers who only want to talk about rugby. That's, that's what they loved. Um, and so I think find what you love here and take it to the other side of the world and seek it there. Or if, I mean, this is a, actually this is a, Tony, where's Tony? Yeah, I quote his book, Pagan Holiday, about how the Roman tourists didn't have these 
January Pie in the sky. January 29th, you'll sign your page. Yeah. January 29th. <laughs> Romans, they would travel because they would go to places where certain Roman um, myths and legend, this is where, uh, who is, who is um, Odysseus is not, that's Penelope. But basically there, there's places where certain little details from Roman myths happened and you would go there because this is where a certain oh, Roman hero. Well, who's, who's the guy who saw his, his children sail off to war? Uh, Telemachus? Theseus coming back? Well, Theseus coming back on the Acropolis? Read, read Tony's book, Pagan Holiday, because it's great. Because Romans, Roman tourists 2,000 years ago were as weird as we are now. And so they would take one aspect of a Roman myth, and it's like, we're going to go to this place because it's where this part... Actually, the same thing happens in Iceland. Has anybody read the Icelandic sagas? Oh my god. Icelandic sagas are great. It's like Game of Thrones, but they were written a thousand years ago. There's a lot of arms being chopped off and people being stabbed in the heart and betrayal. There's a part in, like this woman, this dude slaps his wife and 10 years later, like they're being surrounded by people and he's like, take off some of your hair so I can have a new string from my bow. And she's like, no, you slapped me 10 years ago. Fuck you. And so they all die. <laughs> that, that, um, and so there's people who travel Iceland in the footsteps of the Icelandic sagas, much like, as Tony knows, people Roman truists traveled in the footsteps of the myths of the Roman Empire. And so it doesn't matter. My point is, my point in this book is it doesn't matter what your motivation to go. It's like a bucket list, right? You have these bucket lists. These are 10 things I should see. Well, in a way, the items on your bucket list are less important than just getting out your front door. Mm -hmm. you, go to the, you go to the pyramids in Egypt, which are fine, there's a pizza hut at the Grand Pyramids in Egypt. There's tour buses full of Germans, there's Germans everywhere, and people who look exactly like us. It is you getting lost in an alley in Cairo and ordering kosheri and thinking, this is amazing, and having somebody saying, you're from America? I watch an American TV show, let's talk. It's like being a celebrity. It's those random moments on the way to your bucket list that make travel special. Um, much as I'm sure the Roman tourists realized back in the day that it was these little waypoints on the way to the Roman myths that we collectively are seeking that make travel special. I've come up with a way to connect with people in every country. You just shit on your own government. <laughs> you have an example, Ari? Yeah, you, in Egypt, I was like, uh, do you help the people take power and don't help the little man? And they're like, yeah, we got that. <laughs> and then it's just like, and then they told me that Jews play 9-11. <laughs> I've heard that. <laughs> um, let's get to the most important page in this book. Um, June 3rd. June 3rd? <laughs> yeah. I wonder if Ari might be able to sign that page. <laughs> it's about uh, not having a plan, I guess. Sometimes deviations can be as appealing as plans. You know what I like about this book? You've got three different sections in each one. A title, which you can take a lot from. Some quote from your familiar book. I always misquote that. What's it called? Commonplace book. Commonplace book. And then a whole section on what that means with other quotes in there. Including quotes by? Ari Shafir. Yes. <laughs> Known revolutionary, Ari Shafir. Um, and it was about you getting lost in, in, in uh, Tetuan or Shafshawan, going to the yeah. wrong place. And then... Um, this actually works better with a mic because on the page it's not as, it doesn't make as much sense. I was going to go to Chef Shawan, but it's transliterated in the French way. And I'm here, I want to go to Chef Chuan. And the Arabic guy is like, Tetuan? And I'm like, sure. Sure, yeah. So I went to Sounds Tetuan right. and I wandered that city for hours with the map of Chef Shawan, <laughs> which I mispronounced as Chef Chuan. And 
it was amazing. Like, it, like there's, it was a Berber market day, and like, I nothing was where it was supposed to be. Joni Mitchell wrote wrote, a, wrote an album about uh, the Blue Album or something about Chef Shawin. I was in Tetuan, which is like the Hutchison, Kansas of Morocco, right? And I was wandering around, but it was kind of amazing. And so what I quote you on is that you can't really be lost because you're already where you want to be, which is in this new place, and that's where you are. And so I think if you give yourself permission to screw up really poorly and go with it, then those are the best moments of travel. I, I remember Tetuan much better than Chef Chawan wow. because of the accident that brought me there. So nothing town that nobody gives a fuck about. Yeah, I mean, a few people do. Yeah. But, it, <laughs> but, but, but at the end of the day, like the, the people are like, oh, there's a there's an American guy. Well, let's let's sell him his carpets. And 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 so suddenly, you're part of a dynamic. I think, like the hospitality industry has flowed out of literal hospitality that you show in Islam or Judaism probably, you show um, hospitality to strangers. And so the hospitality industry is about giving people a good experience, but it's been corporatized in a certain way. And so if you go to a town that's not used to hosting tourists, they're like, whoa, who's this freckled guy who's wandering around is obviously lost. Let's have a conversation with him. And so I love that part of travel. You probably find a better experience, or not better, that's the wrong word, but more, more interesting. Yeah. yeah. Because people are like, I really would like to talk to you. You're not like a mark where they can take money from you. Well, there's the experience you thought you would have, and then it's like, okay, it's almost like a Yelp review. Oh, Jeff Chalwin is cool, but it's not as cool as I thought it would be. Tetuan, I don't know what that is, and it's kind of cool because the Berbers are selling carpets here, and I'm wandering around. I met this guy named Mustafa, and he's taking his place to play ping pong. You know, it's just you you get surprised. I think it's giving yourself permission to be surprised by a place as opposed to um, holding your expectations versus the reality of the place. Yeah. I learned that when I was in uh, near Inlay Lake in, in Myanmar, and we were yeah. going to the next next plot, and we were waiting for our bus, and some guy showed up from a hostel, and he was like, where's the 9 o'clock bus? And they're like, it left. And like, when did it leave? They're like, I don't know, like 8.15. <laughs> and, uh, and he was like, what the fuck? <laughs> and they waited here, and he was so mad. And uh, they're like, well, it's gone. He's like, well, that's not going to be acceptable. And they're like, well, it's gone, so I don't know what to tell you. Uh, and he's like, I already checked out of my hostel. And they're like, I, I don't know. Man, I'm just working here at this bus stop. I don't know. And he was so mad, but we were just looking at him. We were just like, dude, you're in Myanmar. Right. Enjoy another day. I don't know. Check back in. <laughs> no, I, I talk about that, how, about how we go to certain parts of the world and our sort of consumer-oriented culture in the United States doesn't count, and that's a gift of travel. I mean, um, Jasmine and Justine, you met Eddie Harris, who traveled through West Africa, and part of the joy of being there is that nothing was efficient, nothing was on time, but it slowed, it stretched time out. It's like in a certain sense, every day had 100 hours because nobody was abiding by a schedule. And that everybody in Mauritania or Senegal, they weren't expecting to be the, for the bus to leave at 8. They were going to leave when the bus left. And so they let time flow through them, let the place flow through them instead of them traveling through a place. And so, um, gosh, I think that's harder than ever to achieve, but it's something that I look for, like being lost and celebrating being lost. Yeah, it is fun. Um, I'm going to ask for questions over there from the crowd for in a second, but are there any of these chapters that stuck with you more than others that you like are specifically proud of or think people should start with? Should start with? Well, I, I, I put a lot of them at the, the, the inspiration was at the beginning. Basically, 
time is what you own. Like, you can have a bunch of crap in your garage, you can have a lot of money in your bank, but at the end of the day, how you spend your time is how you live your life, and your wealth is your time. And so I put a lot of that stuff, in fact, Mary gave me a hard time. I, put, I probably put too much, thank you, Mary, for editing my book, I probably put too much time wealth in the first chapter because it's important to me, but I, I needed to salt it in a way that, that makes sense for the reader. And so, really, see, time is your for purest form of wealth, and it flows out of that. If you don't realize that time is all you own, then everything else can't happen. You don't need that much money, but you need some time. You need to make time serve your life. Um, the second place thing was uh, Marin and, and Kiki. I have a chapter about your dad. Were, were you on that trip, Marin? Yes, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so basically their dad read 1530 as 530 on the European travel map. Oh, that means 3.30, right? So they were supposed to fly out of, what, Torino or something. And so instead of just spending the night at the airport uh, hotel, he's like, let's go to the Alps. And so he took a mistake, and it's like, let's just see what's up here. Let's go see. It's a great thing. Let's go see. I don't know what's up there, but let's go see. That's called the, the Aosta, the Aosta Valley. Mm -hmm. And it was an enchanted, mist-shrouded valley. They knew nothing about it until they were there. And the gift of their dad making them a huge mistake is the most memorable part of that trip because they, they spent the night with this in the Alps in this town that they didn't know. They'd been to all the, the good tourist towns that you're supposed to go to in Italy because dad made a mistake. Suddenly they were surrounded by mist in the Alps in a place they didn't know about before. And so, not to make this all about making mistakes and what you find by accident, but that's such a gift of travel. And you know that because that's why I quoted you in the book. You're not lost, you, you're in this new place and wherever you are, that's what you wanted to see. And if you're not what you thought you might see, well, that's, congratulations, you're yeah, in a new Yeah, you place. got a new cool place. Yeah. Um, there's some freedom, I've never been able to express it to anybody, that long-term travel gives you. I, I, I'm not gonna be able to express it here. You wanna give it a shot? <laughs> well, I, I just, not to make this about Instagram, but I just posted about my first van trip where... Um, I saw that. You look like a dork. <laughs> I, I was a total dork. You eat that was, that was after having a mullet off arms. Uh, like a little I was mustache post, beard. I was, yeah, was mullet Rolf Potts. I was like, who is this on my feed? I'm like, oh, Rolf. <laughs> well, I bought that idea that, well, you, you work hard, and then, then America rewards you with this thing called retirement, and then you can travel if you want. You can go on a cruise. Um, but I realized that very early in that trip, which was not a perfect trip, but it was mine. I had converted this 1984 Volkswagen Vanagon, and there's a lot of anxiety and a lot of mistakes on that trip, but it's like, I'm creating my own life. I'm not subscribing to a life that somebody else created for me, and that is freedom. That I am choosing the life I wanted, and that involves so many mistakes and so many humiliations, which we don't really give ourselves permission before, because nobody puts their humiliations on Instagram. It's all perfection that they put on social media. When in fact, it's those times where you wake up and it's like, what the hell am I doing? Where am I? Maybe I should go home. When you're pushing through to a better version of yourself. And that is freedom. Freedom is the ability to live the life you didn't think you were allowed to live. And that's what I'm trying to capture. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> pretty good. I'm gonna clap for you. Thank you. Um, Let's, let's go to some questions. Let's try that, what do you say? It sounds good. Okay. I, I didn't have a plant, but Ruben, where's Ruben? Yes. Ruben, you told me you had some questions. I did, yeah. You had one for Ari and one for me. I do, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll start with the one for you. Okay. Um, you know there's two U's up here. <laughs> <laughs> two U's, one U. 
fund you, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> solid, solid. Uh, Rolf, when talking about this book, you would often use the phrasing "spiritual successor" mm. instead of "sequel." Um, I'm curious about the semantic difference there, but I'm also curious in light of the fact that you do refer to it as a spiritual successor. Why use the word "vagabond" in the title? Hey, repeat the well, question for the peanut gallery. <laughs> right? For the peanut gallery, it's like, I call this a spiritual successor to, to Vagabond. What does that mean? And why did I call it the Vagabond's Way? Well, the reason why is sitting right next to you. Where's Mary? <laughs> I think the first version of this was called, like, Vagabonding 365 or The Daily Traveler or something. And literally, it was Mary, and I thank you for this, that she's like, this book has an ethos. It's not just about travel. It's about thinking about travel as it connects to your life. And so the, that was her idea. Thank you, Mary. That This is the Vagabond's way. And so, I mean, there's a certain marketing aspect of that. Like, I've written five books, but like 90% of what people want to talk about is vagabonding. And so there's a branding aspect, but it's also the way, the Vagabond's way, that this isn't just random advice. It's not about how to get better deals on TripAdvisor. It's about the ethos that can make travel connect your life in an important way. And so um, I actually, you know, I was anxious going into the, the pandemic, and so I thought maybe I should write Vagabonding too. You know, maybe maybe I should fall back on this. And But um, actually, Tim Ferriss gave me this advice. He's like, don't write Vagabonding too. You already wrote Vagabonding. People don't water down your message. And so I went back to my commonplace book. I went back to the to the sort of the, the spiritual and moral core of this. And this, this ties into to my wife, Kiki. Hi, I love you. Um, during the pandemic, we would read to each other every day on the porch. But we would read like Mary Oliver poems. Have you read Mary Oliver? You guys have to read Mary Oliver. It's amazing. We read Thich Nhat Hanh. We, we started each day with a meditation on how to live that day. And it was important to me. And I realized that the core of travel, I've already communicated one thing in Vagabonding, but let's create a reading that allows us to focus ourselves every day. Let's take through a spiritual journey. I've gotten some great feedback about the book about how, yeah, I'm not traveling right now, but I can mentally go to a place where I'm traveling through the day-by-day -day rhythms of this book. And so that created it. Um, yeah, good question. What's your, what's your question for Ari? Uh, so question for Ari is that something you talk about on podcasts uh, is you value your anonymity while traveling. You mentioned you went to Paris like a day or two earlier just so you could have your alone time. So how do you reconcile that with your career and then also putting out a special that millions of people watch and recognize you for? Oh, yeah. Well, I like observing people, so it's harder and, like, you know, people are observing me back. <laughs> but non-English-speaking countries is a, is a good way to do that. You know, not many, like... Laotian villagers know who the fuck I am. So <laughs> of those three million views, it's probably not a lot in you know Mongolia. Uh, yeah, that's why. That's one of the reasons I like to get lost. And then also, then it becomes sort of fun again. On a beach in Cambodia, where I read your book, I was walking from like the like uninhabited part of the beach back towards the center of like town, sort of. And some guy's like, dude, what? Ari should be like, what? Okay. <laughs> what the fuck? And I was like, what's up, bro? <laughs> I just like, kept walking. Um, but then it's like sort of fun. Oh, and then actually on that beach too, my friend was trying to get me weed. But uh, I, I was too nervous to get it. But she was like, she's a pro. She lives in Hong Kong. And then uh, and she was like, wave me in. She's like, they have weed here. And so then I'm like, OK, I'm going to buy. And then he's like, wait, are you Ari Shafir? And I was like, yeah. And she just goes, free weed. And, uh, yeah. and he's like, all right, here's a bag. It's so brown. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. That's yeah. That's one of the reasons I like to travel. It's yeah. fun. <laughs> Who else has a question? Hey, Rolf. Oh. So, um, moving back to Kansas, you know, after and you've been to sixty countries. What was it like? Can you keep your? Uh, actually, this is for both of you. Both of you since you both moved back to Kansas. They're coming home. Um, <laughs> what's it like? Can you keep your uh, sense of adventure, sense of sense of discovery? Absolutely. I actually, I write a, a chapter, there's a chapter in this book where uh, Kiki, my wife and I, it was during the pandemic, we couldn't go to Scandinavia where she has, we actually went there this summer, we went to Norway, but we could go to little, little Sweden in Kansas. So we walked 22 miles from our back door to Lindsberg, Kansas, aka Little Sweden, and it was really interesting. Like we ran into people we would not normally have talked to, whose job was like grading the road. And we found a dog named, what was his name, Cole? Yeah, like a, a random dog just followed us for, for six or eight miles, and it's like, we need to find who owns coal and send him back home. And suddenly we had this adventure, it was almost like Tetuan and Chefshawan, that uh, within 20 miles of our back door, we had this crazy adventure that made us sort of love our home more. And so I think that home is always in conversation with the places you go, and you come back, and, and again, you can't tell your stories. You can't say, I had this moment in Ecuador, or Indonesia and it changed my life and your friends are like yeah um, I like the IPA what do you what stout is it or the stout because it's 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 hard to communicate but you can you can sort of take that mindset of travel and basically the last month of the new book is about being home and taking that mindset to being home um, and just being excited about what's outside your back door because literally you know Kiki you lived in you lived in London and Berlin you've been to exotic places you lived here in New York and suddenly this place 20 miles outside of our back door was this exciting place that we walked and discovered ourselves. And we could take another 20 mile walk next month and probably discover some more things. And so one thing, I think we are conditioned to think that travel is about exotic places and places on our bucket list when in fact, almost anywhere you go, if you pay attention, is going to affect you in ways that are kind of awesome. Yeah. Also, this is somebody's exotic place. Yeah. So, just going to get, uh, I'll get you in a second, but like, uh, sorry, does that seem rude? <laughs> <laughs> it's nice okay, yeah, let's hear it, let's hear it. Yeah. But like, you close your eyes here, you're in a park, if you close your eyes, it's like, if you're a park in Sweden, or, or a, a, a beach in, in, you know, wherever, um, it, it's got the same sand as Far Rockaway does. So if kind of close your eyes and imagine you're in another place and then open them up, it does seem exotic, you know? I've had friends visit me, they're like, what's this? I'm like, oh, it's a Puerto Rican Day Parade. Like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> but to them, it's a, it's a foreign, like, parade, you know? And how many parades have we seen in on the other side of the world, and it's exciting. It's, it's so like, exciting. It's just a kid's like, recital, <laughs> you know? I was like, what is this holiday? Never heard of it, but this is exciting. This yeah. is fun to see. Actually. When we were in Norway this summer, I fell asleep in a hammock. You remember this. I was really tired. And then I woke up, and it's like, this is a nap in a hammock in Norway. Yeah, cool. And I'm by a lake where this cabin is important to Norwegian people. And you can see a nap as a really exciting, exotic event. And so, yeah, not setting limits on what counts. Hey, Ari, have you been to Kansas yet? I have been to Kansas. Yeah, tell us about it. Uh, <laughs> it's, I've not been to your place. It's got some of the worst, most overrated barbecue in the, the world, probably. Not just the country. It's, it's ketchup. It's just ketchup. 
You're into the wrong place. Sorry. <laughs> you guys overvalue my wife, mesquite. My wife and Marin's father makes his own barbecue sauce. Why don't we kick your ass? All right, I'd love to try it. Yeah. Um, wait, Kelson, what's your what's your yes, question? Yes, yes, Okay, so you know, people tell you go to Venice before it sinks. You know, they tell you you're going to miss these cities before they go because of global climate change. But in my experience from traveling. You're standing in a place and you're like, whoa, no, actually this is, this is, you're witnessing like the tectonic plates of history shift from a place of high relief, right? You're seeing it happen in real time and it's not what people tell you. In fact, right now here, you're continuing the literary tradition that's a century old and you're, you are making history now by being here. And, my, and I don't know if you know the profanity of that right now, but how do you, do you have a story of, of like an unexpected place where you're like, this is never going to happen again. This is a shift, a change in time that's only going to happen in this moment, and it's gone, and nobody would tell you. Well, first off, thank you for that question. I feel like it should be 367 chapters. Yeah. That's, that's good stuff. Nice, dude. They should do that every reading. Right. Um, did, you, did anything come to your mind? Yeah, I mean, this, this neighborhood is shifting. The East Village is becoming very bro-dude. Um, it used to be very Jewish. In fact, not to interject too much, but my grandmother came from Germany in the 1890s when the East Lower East Side, not the East Village, but Lower East Side, had a population density that is comparable to what Mumbai is now. Oh. And you can go to Lower East Side Tenement Museum and see it as a piece of history, or you can go to Mumbai and see these are people whose lives and their descendants' lives are changing. And so, in a way, if you can pay attention, everywhere you go in the world, you can look for those tectonic shifts. You can look for the ways that, that things yeah. are changing everywhere. It, it's still cool, though. The people who are coming here now, they're, they're started in New York. They're like, wow, this is so cool. And you got to see it through their eyes. I was in some place in Thailand, I think Thailand, but it was like some like, I don't know, hot springs or something like that, and had a great time. It was very cool. And then leaving, and some guys were like, yeah, we were here three years ago. And there was like two cars in the park. There was, there was nothing here. <laughs> And now it's all ruined, but I'm like, man, I had a great time. I don't know. Well, and the travel world is full of people who's like, oh, you should have been here 10 years ago. Yeah. There will always be someone who said, oh, it was better 20 years ago, right? I, I, in the book, I talk about how there's certain clergymen who are traveling through Spain. It's like, if you want to see Spain, you better see it now. It's 1830. Thank you very much. <laughs> Spain is about to be ruined. It's about to be overrun by a bunch of Philistines. It was 1830. Actually, Jasmine, you walked across Spain recently. Was it was it terrible? Was it overrun by a Philistine? No. You had a great time. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so I think it's a it's a it's about a way of, of paying attention. You know. There so, is something though to that it does change, and that if you want to go back and recreate this thing that you saw, it's like you got to move further out. Um, Barcelona, the, the cool, hip part of town, is now a tourist with Airbnb. It's a tourist part of town, so it's not as cool. Um, but what is, what's two towns over? Right, well, that's, is there a way to like, hey, I'm not gonna try to recreate this, I'm gonna try to find my new place. Well, on, on the way here, we ate, what was the place we ate? Ubuco? Not the original one, the secondary one. Yeah, no, we had some Umbrian wine. Well, Umbrian is like the new Tuscany. Everybody goes to Tuscany. Tuscany is great, actually. Ryan, you know, we're maybe going to have a class there next year. But Umbria is like as beautiful as Tuscany, but it's not as popular as Tuscany. And it's just as Italian and has its own local food traditions. 
And so there's two ways to do that. It's, it's realizing that at this historical moment, sure, maybe the East Village is sold out and it was cooler 20 years ago, but what's happening right now? Right. Or what's a couple of neighborhoods over that we're not paying attention to, which is like the Umbria to Tuscany, you know, that it doesn't take that much to wander off the beaten path. Yeah, the old rock stars had to go somewhere. Tony, is your body language saying that we need to end? I'm just edging up, just casually. <laughs> casually. Say that it's been lovely. It's been amazing. So, but um, everyone needs to have another drink. Oh, yeah, that's for basically sure. Oh, my God. I've read to say yeah. this. I've read to say this Buy lots of drinks and tip your bartenders. Yeah. And buy your books. And your buy your books. Yeah. How, many, right, how many are left? And Venmo you. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Clearly. All at once. Hold your hand up, Ryan. Ryan is my book guy. He was my, my student right. in Paris this summer. It's a wonderful book. As soon as I start reading it, it, it makes me want to get out and see the world. Uh, you will have the same experience. Yeah. Just you're, you're five, six pages in, and you're like, I gotta fucking get lost again. Yeah. I think January 27th is when it really sucks. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Bring your copy to Tony, he will sign the I January 27th. Sorry, we'll, we'll sign January 3rd. Buy lots of drinks, people. Yeah. yeah. One of the cool things about April Pots events is that you guys are all travelers, you all have your own stories. Um, so I've always enjoyed talking to people, meeting people, these things, and. Uh, yeah, share your stories. Let's Turn talk. Turn the person next to you and ask them where they want to go. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you'll sign the list? books, right? I will and sign the books. If there's more questions, we can ask you guys. So we can ask them in person. Yeah. There you go. And, and watch his show, Jew, on YouTube, and Venmo him $10, please. <laughs> Just um, win. Yeah, whatever you want. Cool. Great job, man. Great job, man. Thank you, all right. This has been Deviate with Rolf Potts. More about everything that was just mentioned, including information about Ari Shafir's new comedy special, Jew, and how you can watch it and support it, can be found in the show notes at rolfpotts.com deviate. And as always, you can contact me with insights or questions at deviate at rolfpotts.com. This episode was produced by Cedar Van Tassel, who also does the theme music. Thanks for listening, and I hope you tune in for future episodes of Deviate with Rolf Potts. <laughs>